Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 469 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and if you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. Now, I was just thinking the other day about the many benefits of life as a writer. One of the most appealing to me is that it's so flexible and that, I mean, as long as you have the computer and the internet, you can pretty much work from anywhere. Some would argue that you don't even need that, you know, that you can go old school and write with pen and paper. Sure, that's true. And I certainly love writing with a pen and notebook from time to time. But the reality is that if you're going to make a full-time income as a writer, you're pretty much going to need a computer and the internet, right? This is especially true if you're a freelance writer who needs to communicate with editors and clients and research articles and do interviews and so on. But there are also some other interesting benefits of writing. And I think I've mentioned before that as a feature writer, I love the fact that if I'm personally interested in something or there's something that I want to find out more about, I think of the way to write and research that particular topic for an article. Because that way I get to talk to often, you know, leaders or innovators in the field that I'm interested in, you know, people who I would normally find it hard to get access to if I was just a rando off the street ringing someone up, right? Now, an example might be if I'm about to get a mortgage and I want to explore different types of mortgages or you know new types of mortgages, I might write an article on these new types of mortgages. Because not only do I get all my questions answered, I also make a bunch of potentially useful contacts in the mortgage space, and I also get paid for the story, win, right? Another example is if I'm interested in picking the brains of a certain person, whether they're a business person or a creative or just someone who's doing really interesting things that I'm into, then I can pitch a profile on that person. And not only do I get to meet and chat to that person and satisfy my curiosity about all the things they do and ask all my questions, I also get paid for the article. So last year, this approach really paid off for me in probably unexpected ways. Many longtime listeners will know that I moved to the northern beaches of Sydney about six years ago now, and I'm not from anywhere near the northern beaches of Sydney. In fact, I grew up at the opposite end of Sydney in the south, and for those of you who are familiar with Sydney, I grew up in the Sutherland Shire. So I knew no one in the Northern Beaches when I decided to move there. I mean, it's a really beautiful place, so beautiful. But after a few years of living here, I realized that, sure, I got to know some people and was friendly with people in shops and stuff, but I didn't really feel like a real part of the community. And I loved living here, but I didn't feel connected in that really palpable way that I could see many people were, particularly in this community. It's just a big thing here. So I wondered, what could I do about it? You know, and I thought of joining community groups or going to classes and workshops in the local area, um, joining groups, that sort of thing. Um, I thought even of starting, because I've got nothing, you know, (laughs) so much time on my hands. (laughs) I thought of starting a blog about local things, which would 
forced me to get out and about and meet and interview people. Um, you know, but when I'd written things, the thing that stopped me, I guess, from doing that, even though I still think that's a nice idea, when I'd written things in the past, I had always written for a major publication, generally not for my own blog when I was interviewing people, so personal blog. So I always had that credibility or that cachet of saying that I was writing of a publication that they had heard of, whether that's the Herald or the Age or the Financial Review or for magazines or whatever. Anyway, so I, I also thought of creating my own networking group. I explored networking groups in the area and maybe going on their committees and that sort of thing. I, I thought of all sorts of things, right? And then, of course, while I was thinking of all that, the time I was thinking of all that, there was this w- little worldwide thing called a pandemic, so I didn't even bother progressing any of those things in the end when, when that happened. Anyhow, about 15 months ago, an editor who I used to write for when she was at the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, she eventually became the editor of Sunday Life and of the whole paper. She contacted me and asked me if I wanted to write a regular weekly column for, or re- and regular weekly articles for the local paper. And I thought, oh, I had never really thought about writing for the local paper before. But I know that I loved working with someone of her caliber and I knew, I mean, she's the real deal, right? And I soon realized this was the perfect way to connect with the local community. And at first I wasn't sure, as I said, so I did say to her, look, you know, let's give it a go for a few months. We'll see. Anyhow, I absolutely loved it. And every week I spoke to so many people in the community I got to know so many creatives, business people, authors, you know, all these residents, people from all walks of life. I spoke to or interviewed at least 10 people a week. And I can say that without a doubt, I now feel truly connected to this community. I've also, I've also learned so much about the area that I live in, um, which I think has been such a blessing because I appreciate it even more than I did before. Um, I've moved house, you know, to another house in uh, my local area, which I love. I've made new friends in the area and I've been paid every week to do all that. So um, win, 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 right? So I just wanted to mention it because if you're a freelance writer, it's something to consider. A friend of mine, Matt, moved from the US to Adelaide some years ago. And for whatever reason, he really wanted to connect very specifically with CEOs and CTOs. So chief executive officers and chief technology officers of major companies. I think it was because he wanted to meet them for eventually for a business that he wanted to start in Australia. He's actually originally from Austria, but then moved to the US and then decided to move to Adelaide. Anyhow, you can't normally just ring up these CEOs and CTOs and say, hey, can I, I'm new in this country, can I chat to you for an hour? So he kind of did a similar thing. He pitched the idea of writing, I think it was a monthly column for a business magazine. I can't remember how frequently the magazine came out. I think it was monthly, monthly maybe it was fortnightly. Anyway, a regular column for the business magazine. Specifically interviewing CEOs and CTOs of technology-related companies because they're the people he wanted to connect with, right? So he now had the perfect excuse to meet these people and interview them and get to know them. Before long, 
He was extremely well connected in this industry. He kept in touch with these people, and by the time he was ready to launch his own business, he had, you know, all the key players on speed dial. <laughs> you might not necessarily be quite that strategic with your own articles, but I just wanted to mention these stories because your writing can really can open up a whole world of possibilities in some areas you don't expect if you kind of think about it laterally if you want it to. Anyhow, If you're writing fiction, here is a different writing tip for you. This comes from a comment in one of our Write Your Novel classrooms. The tutor of that particular classroom is the amazing Pamela Cook, who we've had on the podcast before, and she had provided her feedback for the week's submissions, and at the end she said, remember that the final decision is yours. Now, I think it can be easy when you're editing your story or getting feedback to feel overwhelmed. You might have four different people potentially saying four different things about what they love or what they think you should change. Getting feedback from readers and other writers is absolutely invaluable, as you know, and I've mentioned it many times before. It can help you improve your manuscript dramatically and much faster than you just reading it over and over again by yourself and trying to figure it out and potentially tearing your hair out, right? But at the end of the day, it is your story. And you have to make the decisions about what feedback to incorporate and what feedback is not relevant or that you've decided not to incorporate for whatever reason. So that's why it also really helps to have some distance from your ma- from your manuscript. I mean, we always recommend it and all of our tutors recommend it, leaving your story alone for a few weeks or even a few months, you know, if you can, before going in to edit. When you first write the end on your first draft, you'll be a little bit in love with your story still, which is a great thing, of course. But as you know, when you're in love, it can be hard to see some of the flaws or where it can be improved and so on. You know, giving yourself that distance will help, really help when it comes to incorporating feedback from other people. So yes, while I think it's absolutely vital that you workshop your manuscript with other writers, there's also a skill to receiving constructive criticism or feedback. And like any skill, the more you practice it, the better you'll get. So I encourage you to think about the importance of workshopping your manuscript with people instead of just living in isolation and thinking that you've done, you know, everything that you can. It's always great to get feedback because that's, you know, that's the feedback, the real thoughts, the real confusion, the real loves of readers who are reading your manuscript. If you're interested in learning how to workshop your story, have a look at our Novel Writing Essentials course, by the way. It's a 10-week course where you'll develop your novel with other writers in a safe and supportive environment. This is really good, particularly if you're just starting your novel or at the start of your novel. Um, And you'll also have an expert author who will be your tutor to guide you along the way. So if you want to find out more, go to writercenter.com.au slash Novel Writing Essentials. That's writercenter.com.au slash novel writing essentials. Now let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have three copies of Violetta by Isabel Allende, the niece and goddaughter of Salvador Allende, the former president of Chile, of course, and acclaimed author. Violetta comes into the world on a stormy day in 1920, the first daughter of 
in a family of five boisterous sons. From the start, her life is marked by extraordinary events, for the ripples of the Great War are still being felt, even as the Spanish flu arrives on the shores of her South American homeland almost at the moment of her birth. The family will come through that crisis unscathed, only to face a new one as the Great Depression transforms the genteel city life she has known. Her family loses all and is forced to retreat to a remote part of the country. There she will come of age, and her first suitor will come calling. Through the eyes of a woman whose unforgettable passion, determination and sense of humour will carry her through a lifetime of upheaval, Isabel Allende once more brings us an epic that is both fiercely inspiring and deeply emotional. Just go to writercentercomau slash win for your chance to win one of three copies. Entries close on the 21st of February. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry. Uh, we will have some other fabulous giveaway for you at that URL, writercenter.com.au slash win. Now, everyone, are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope so, because this week's word of the week is rebus, R-E-B-U-S, rebus, a rebus is when you make a word or phrase by using pictures or symbols. So you could use a picture of two gates and a head to represent gates head. They were popular in Europe from the Middle Ages, rebuses. Um, For example, Bishop Leihart used an image of a heart, H-A-R-T, which is a stag, lying down in water, Leihart. They're also popular as puzzles. So if you write the word secret three times, one under the other, and then you circle the top one, what's that? That's top secret, right? And now that emojis have become a part of most people's everyday life, we're using rebuses more and more, but actually they have been around for hundreds of years. So there you go. Rebus, not just a television show, but a pretty awesome word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I am so, so excited to bring this to you in case you have been living under a rock lately or on another planet and have missed the articles in the Sydney Morning Herald, in The Australian, in The Guardian, um, the fact that this book was named one of the most anticipated books of 2022 by the Sydney Morning Herald um, in a separate article. And no doubt there's going to be even more publicity all over the place. Um, it has been acclaimed by Annabel Crabb, uh, by Nikki Gemmell, who practically wrote uh, almost a, an entire article dedicated to it, um, and also on on the idea that women in publishing are, publish, uh, are 
uh, uh, publishing their books later in life. On the weekend, in her column in The Australian, oh, I am talking about The Keepers by Al Campbell. And Al is just so refreshing to talk to. She's really down to earth and she's written an absolutely fantastic book. I'm going to stop talking and so you can listen to my chat with Al Campbell. Al Campbell, congratulations on your novel, The Keepers. Oh, my goodness, it has been lavished with praise <laughs> by so many people, Emily Maguire, Annabelle Crabb, Nikki Gemmell. Oh, my goodness, it is just so beautifully written. So much I want to unpack here. But let's just start with, for readers who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, and they should, can you tell us what it's about? I can try, Valerie. I'm <laughs> really, really bad at elevator pitches. But um, it's about a, a woman called Jay who has a rather rough start in life. Um, she comes from a background of abuse. She grows up to have her own two boys, twins, um, who uh, see the world rather differently as the world sees them. Um, she... Her best friend is a half-real chum by the name of Keep, very real to her. And something happens and Jay starts to wonder if perhaps in order to be a good mother, she might have to become a very, very bad one. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to discuss here because <laughs> there's, it's, you know, it's, a, there's a, it's, it's, there's so many issues that you cover. There are so many different types of characters in the book. Let's first start with what made you want to write this novel? Well, I think, as I might have indicated um, previously, I kind of wrote a novel without really meaning to. Um, having listened to, to Val and Al for so long <laughs> and um I think it was Al who first raised, or maybe it was you, Val, um, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's oh, Way, yes. and her concept of the morning pages. Mm. And I think that was way back in 2015 when I first oh, either thought of, heard of it or bought the book. And I was in a bit of a grim spot and um, in, in my life, and I was very, very tired and uh, very, very housebound and, uh, and lonely and no money and barely hanging on to the house, which I didn't end up managing to do. And I heard about these morning pages and I thought, let's give that a go. Let, let's just get me out of my head if we can. And, and I started doing them and, you know, the whole writing by hand across the page, mm. therapy, the therapeutic um, dividend that's meant to have. And I really loved it. I really loved the routine and the process and, I did feel like it got me out of my head, even though what I was writing about sometimes was what was in my head. But I also mm. wrote about anything, just anything. Sometimes I wrote about William and Catherine. Sometimes I wrote about <laughs> the construction and the pool being built with the neighbours across the street. Mm. Um, it was anything. It was sometimes just social commentary, rantings, words. But I kept doing them and kept doing them and then... Uh, my son got very, very sick in uh, 2017 and we pretty much spent the next 18 months in hospital, very, mm. very long stretches, weeks, weeks at a time. So I had my trusty little laptop so I could read 
And I just wrote because, you know, anyone who's ever spent time in hospital with their children mm. knows that you, you don't sleep. Mm. And um, I wrote in this sort of fever dream. I just wrote, I just spewed. It just went. And, oh, gosh, I came out with an awful lot of words. Wow. And, and yes, and I thought, um, looks a bit like a book maybe <laughs> from there. That's incredible. So for listeners who may not be familiar with Morning Pages, Morning Pages um, is a suggestion, a practice by Julia Cameron where you write three just crappy pages of what, what spews out of your head every morning by hand in a notebook. I love it. I don't do it every day, but I have periods where I'll do it for a month and then I'll not do it for a month or I'll do it for three months and then I'll do it. So it's something that is a very, very useful, very useful um, exercise. It's not just therapeutic because sometimes you don't necessarily need it. Sometimes it's just wonderful clarification of things that are going on in your head and you don't have to write a story. You don't have to write a piece of fiction. You literally just whatever is comes out of your head, you start writing. It's great. I never really did them in the morning. I always did them at some other times. But tell me, so then you just started writing and you think, okay, well, I, I, I might now have a book. Did you actually start writing a fictional story that was brewing in your head? I, it, it's, that's, that's quite a leap going from morning pages to a book. What was your intention during those 18 months of writing well, another thing that happened along the way, uh, midway through 2016, um, so before my son got sick, but I read a column in the weekend paper that Nikki, Nikki Gamble writes. Oh, yeah. And she wrote this wonderful column about writers who came to writing later in life. And yes, writers like Annie Prue and, and Elizabeth mm. Jolly and Anita Bruckner, who I, I think remember I read. that column. I remember yes, that. Column. Yes. And and I thought, really? Annie Prue didn't start writing until she was 52 or something? Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, how sometimes you hear the things you're meant to hear and, yes. you know, there's that synchronicity or serendipity or something going on. And I, I wrote to her. I emailed her. I never do these sorts of things. <laughs> and I just wrote to her and said, wow, that column just really spoke to me. And thanks. And, well, maybe I will. And oh, wow. So that was sort of rocking around in my head and but I still was just doing the morning pages and it was it really was unpublishable just stuff and mm -hmm. but then I think things started to form when I was in I don't know it was a fever dream of writing when I was in the hospital because wow. my son was sick he just lay there he didn't want to do anything and we were in an isolation room almost all the time because he caught everything that you can catch in a hospital wow. all the time so we were always on our own, um, like I said, it's just the worst writing residency you'd <laughs> ever want. But there we were. And so, and I think, you know, I've got that. I've always liked words. I'm a huge reader. And so, yeah, it just almost sort of on its own. And I write with Scrivener and, mm. you know, my publisher would say, this is not a good thing because she she's not a fan, but <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it, Yes, it's very good. I, I write in those, I don't want to say erratic, but it is, as those are bursts where just something will come. And, you know, Scrivener, you can just boom, straight in, new scene, yeah. new scene, new scene. Yeah. And I just had, I had 135,000 words. Wow. And it was wow. just, and I thought, 
I can, I can stitch this together. I can, I think. Mm. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of your characters, because you've got Jay, who is the, the mother of um, these twins who are teenagers, you've got teenagers, you've got adults, and, um, well, I mean, you've got uh, kids yourself, so um, that's not too far removed from your life, and you've got this incredible domestic environment that you've captured so beautifully. The the twins um, are... That they've got, um, they're on the spectrum, right? Yes. And um, is and they're very different from each other. They're yeah. very different from each other. They've got very distinct characters and very different um, ways in which they react to the world. So they're very um, uh, well formed because they're very clear who each of them are. How did you go about creating your characters from a practical point of view? Obviously, they started in your head, but then to ensure that you got them consistent and then to develop them into their specific characteristics and behaviours, what did you do? I think I'm just lucky in that I'm a bower bird, you know, (laughs) as a lot of writers are. And obviously I know and, you know, been in the same space as a lot of families with children with disabilities, varying disabilities. And I want, I tried to be, I, you know, I didn't just want to depict um, autism spectrum disorder. I sort of wanted to expand that out a bit so that people could relate to all sorts of things. I mean, yes, the character of Frank's a bit portly, a bit chubby, and so picked on for that. Um, and he has a stutter, which... Um, my son actually had a, a, stu- a stutter very like that, but um, it, it sort of went away. Well, we therapied it out, but but um, stutters are really these days quite easy to get to get rid of. But um, for some people, but I think I just had a very firm idea of where I wanted to take the characters, and so they sort of wrote their way into it. And and that's also part of my process is I. I write my way in. So, in fact, Frank was a bit different to start with. Um, he, in fact, had, um, rather than the way he's presented now, he actually had a a, a very large birthmark on his face. Um, but that was, you know, changed to become more consistent with the autism spectrum. So, yeah, they just they just talked to me and formed and as we as we went, you know, mm. and developed as as we went. So in terms of your characters, Al, I I understand that you had an interesting way of naming some of them. I certainly did, Valerie. Um, Well, I'm I'm not frightened to say um, I'm an absolutely rapid rabid um, football hooligan, an Essendon fan. And so when I was writing the book, I assumed, as you do when you're writing your first novel, I guess, that no one will ever read it but you and you and the dog. So um, when I had to name a character, I uh, when I had to name a bad character, I gave them um, Carlton football player names. And um, and um, when I had to name the, all the all the rest, just all the rest, I gave them all names of the uh, the Essendon football club players, past and present. And well. 
you know, I had fun doing that. And then when University of Queensland Press, you know, bought the book and we sort of did a bit of work and then I finally met Aviva Tuffield, who's my publisher and she's based in Melbourne, and she came up during one of the brief moments they weren't in lockdown and we met. And as we were finishing our meeting, I thought, I should probably say something about the whole Essendon thing, you know. And I, I said, because um, Aviva's very posh, and I said, um, look, there's something about the characters' names I should probably tell you. You know, I, I named them all after, and she said, oh, and I could see the blood draining from her face. And the the darling editor who who was there, I could see the blood draining from her face too. And, and Aviva said, you've named them all after real people? And I said, I've named them all after Essendon players. And she went, oh, thank God, that's all right. And I said, is it? And she said, well, of course, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, anyone out there who's, you know, a footy fan or an Essendon fan who reads the book, well, well, they'll know. And she said, oh, Elaine, Essendon supporters don't read novels. And I was terribly offended. And I said, well, I know one who does. So isn't that hilarious? <gasps> That's so, incredible. My, my beloved, my beloved footy <laughs> team gets to have little Easter eggs all the way through the book. Oh my God. So, you know, if you're an Essendon fan, you've got lots and lots of things that you can look out for in The Keepers by Al Campbell. That's absolutely fantastic. I love it. Go Bombers. <laughs> So when you write, wrote your 135,000 words in that 18 months while you're in um, uh, hanging out in the hospital, at what point, it, there must have been a some point that you thought um, this is going to be a story. I, I'm assuming that you didn't write a whole 135,000 words and think, oh, now it's a story. At some point you thought there's a direction here and I'm going to yeah. go on this arc and, you know. Yes. Um, and in fact, I think it was literally the week we landed in hospital. I heard back from the Australian Writers' Centre that Kathy Tasker was going to take me on as a, as a mentee. Right. The timing could not have been more wretched. <laughs> I, and I thought, oh, should I do, do this or should I postpone? And then I thought, oh, you know, it's one of those, if I let this slip, I probably will just, it'll be gone. Mm. And Kathy was wonderful and terribly accommodating. Um, but And the one thing that she really did for me was because it was, I only showed her what I thought was showable, mm -hmm. and that was this character of Keep, which is in the very first chapter. Mm. And um, and I, I did have terrible self-doubt about him and I thought, it's just too, it's just too wacky, it's mm. too wacky, it doesn't belong <laughs> Um, and she, her feedback was, oh, no, you're quite wrong there. Mm. In fact, more of him, please. And if the rest of it could be as, in, as interesting, will you mm. become a winner? And that, having that kind of endorsement for my thinking, mm. that sort of set me off on that, right, there's this woman and, and she's got trauma and I was depicting it in a very cliched sort of way up to that point, she was a pill-popping alcoholic. And as I was writing it, I thought, God, I'm bored. And if I'm bored, <laughs> the reader's going to be bored. You know what I mean? That's what they say. If you're yeah. bored writing it, everyone's going to be bored. And I thought, this is so done. It's overdone. It's overcooked. And then suddenly Keith arrived in my head and I thought, <laughs> hello, who are you? And I wrote him wow. and then set him aside thinking, oh, perhaps that's another story for another time. 
And then I put it in and showed Kathy and she was like, yes, keep yes. him. Um, and I thought, oh, that's right. We throw the pills and the alcohol away. He is all of that siphoned off. Wow. Because it is such an um, unusual and specific premise, yeah, but it works. It's oh, so beautifully written and you immediately get it into it and you immediately want to know what is happening with each of these characters, which obviously is what drives you on. So what you also did the, the Write Your Novel program at the Australian Writers' Centre, is that yes. right? Yes. yes. So that was when I got Rupert back on his feet and he was because um, he missed a whole 18 months of school. So mm. he started to go back to school part-time until he, he was strong enough to go back full-time. And that's when I thought, look, let's have a look at this thing that I've just, you know, <laughs> this massive thing, all these <laughs> words. And um, and I thought I need someone to look at this because I could be completely delusional and, well, you know, I'll have written a novel and just sit in the drawer and a lot of people haven't even done that. But I'll, I'll, I'll try it and, and see. And it was just the best thing I ever did. And and I remember in the sort of prelude to the course, hearing your words, you know, in the in, in one of the tutorials say, you get so much out of critiquing other people's work, mm. which of course I had never done in my life. <laughs> and not having done it, I thought, I don't know, Valerie, if that's actually going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was, because it's like, you know, when you learn, try to learn another language, you learn so much more about your own. Mm. And it was exactly the same. And when you look at other people's work and thought, that doesn't work, but why? You have to be able to tell a person yeah. why. And this really works, but why? You, have to, you can't just say, oh, it's lovely, I love it. You have mm. to say why. And so then you turn it back. Why is this work? Why did Kathy think this worked, this character? And why do, why do I think this doesn't work? And, and I can see this in my own writing. And so I need to address this in, in what I'm doing. And I didn't have an ending, Valerie, which is why I kept writing. I was writing into the void. I just kept writing and writing and writing and thinking the end will come. And um, it didn't. And it, it wasn't until I did the course, found the ending, and then I could shift everything around, thought that's the ending, so I'm going to just because, you know, it's a, it's a structure where it's all sort of forward and back. So all of that got shifted around the end showed it to Angela Slater, who I already knew um, outside of the AWC courses. Mm -hmm. And, again, that was because I so admire her and she's so experienced and I she's thought, She's fantastic. Oh, what's she going to say to this <laughs> And um, Bernadette Foley had already given me really good feedback, fantastic. sort of said, just let's get out there and do this. And then I showed it to Angela and she said, let's get out there and do this. And uh, I, I can suggest these two people. Let's start mm. here. First one said no, second one said yes. And they said yes only five months after you finished the Write Your Novel course. Yes. And, in fact, they said yes one week after receiving it. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. But I can absolutely Lucky. see why. <laughs> now, here's the thing. So I understand that, obviously, when you were um, in the 18 months hanging out in the hospital, you were writing you know, there was lots of opportunity to write. Once you got out of that, what stage was it in? Did you, were you still writing or were you by that time <clears throat> revising for the bulk of it? Yeah, definitely. I was, in, I was in the what is all of this and where's it going 
and remembering I still didn't have the ending. And um, so when I got my son back to school, that's when I thought, right, I've got to be, yes. if I'm serious, I've got to be serious and treat this yeah. like it's it's a job, it's a task. And that's when uh, I read or I heard about Toni Morrison's practice of getting up at four. She was a single mother getting up at 4 a.m. to write. And I thought, all right, I, I'm, I'm not a night person. I know that my night writing is rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let's try the morning. And, and it really worked. And, and I'm one of those people, not helpful, but I just need quiet when I write. I wish I could be one of those people that has, you know, Pearl Jam on or... or <laughs> and or writing cafes and things yes. I can't I can't mm. so um and also I can't I've got to be in the house like a lot of the time you know we're not mm. we're not at school and things all the time um so getting up at four to seven um it's kind of like those people who run wish I was one of them and they say well I get out and do the run and at least I've done the run if the rest of the day goes pear-shaped well I'm the same I've got up I've done my writing I only have a modest word you know aim of 500 words in a session you know every morning so how long would you write from 4am you aim for 500 words how long you write for yeah I write for the three hours but Mm-hmm. I'm one of those, though. I know Angela is a, a great fan of the, the the vomit in aisle eight. I'm not a vomiter. I do use the word spew a lot, but it's I spew three sentences and then I tinker, 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 and then I write the right. next. I, it just doesn't work for me to go, and I'll come back to it later. Yes. So yeah. those, I often get between five and 800. So I just kind of figure five is my, my bottom number. Yeah. Anything above that's a bonus, and I just sort of tinker and polish and fuss as I go, and I feel then that those five hundred they're done, and the mm. next day's the next five hundred. That's incredible. You write for three hours from four a.m. to seven a.m. Yeah, every day, seven days, five days. What? Well, see, I'm if there were an alternate universe, Al, <laughs> um, I'd never stop. I'm shocking. I just love it. I that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. that. I love it. I love it. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to wash my hair. I don't want to do anything. I just want to write. And, um, but, um, but that, that uh, owl doesn't exist. So, uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, and it's done. And I feel like I've done the thing for me. And then the rest of the day can go off in all of its erratic directions, which invariably it will. And, but at least I've done my bit. That is incredible. So are you, now that this book is out there in the world, are you writing your next one? Yes. So you're, that's what you're doing at the moment from four to seven, you're writing your second novel. Well, at the moment I'm still um, sort of writing things um, to do with the keepers, you know, you, you sort mm. of write pieces for, for publication and papers and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been, and I, I will admit we've, been going through my son's um got a he's never been a good sleeper and um we've been going through a phase with that where he's actually not going to sleep until four o'clock in the morning oh my so that's that's throwing that out and this is why you know um I've got that when 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 he sleeps I can do my four till seven mm. and when he doesn't I've just got to exist and put one foot in front of the other as the mm. days go on we're emerging from that 
So I'm going to be able to reinstate my writing. So again. when you're back in your routine then, what do you do during the day? Well, so I've got um, people often think, you know, when you've got kids at school, you're sort of free between nine and three. My, <laughs> my boy goes to a, a special school, so he's got shorter hours anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other boy, my older boy, uh, who's also on the spectrum, is, has been home with me full time. He's finished high school. Uh, he's going to try and tackle a, a course at, at TAFE uh, this year. So he'll he'll be out of the house to do some things. So that will be good because there's therapies across both the boys. So um, I often pick Rupert up early and we go off to speech pathology or what have you. And then Fraser has his therapies that we sort of do during the day in, well, mm-hmm. Rupert's at school. Um, yes. So, and then I work, um, as a, an editor and a proofreader for a uni and, and, and edit, um, finance papers that I don't understand at all. But, <laughs> yeah. So I fit so, in wherever I can. You obviously have firsthand experience with kids who are on the spectrum and that, that's also why it's so incredibly realistic and yet so beautiful because the love for these kids is so obvious. What Did you have any hesitations in tackling what can be a complex um, subject that many people don't necessarily understand? Did you have any hesitations at all on how it would be depicted or did you just write and, and you know, just just write what, what, what was coming out of your heart? I did just write um, and reflecting on what, you know, the first point, um, you know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very much of the view that, um, especially with autism but more with disability generally, you know, when there's a saying, when you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism because they are all very different. I have two boys on the spectrum. They could not be more different, mm. just like the two characters mm. in the book, different in different ways, similar in some. Um, so I really just wanted to write a story about those particular people mm. um, uh, so that they're characters in themselves. They're not meant to be just like, Rain Man is not like every autistic person and the boy in Atypical is not like every autistic person. And, and so I just wanted to write them as characters. I wanted to write a book and not a manifesto, even mm. though sometimes the two, and with all writing, really, I mean, people who write novels about the environment, it can sometimes feel like they're manifesto or, or what have you. But I wanted to write a book that people would read as a book just a book about characters, but also that other readers who have an experience of this sort of life could go, oh, yes, I can relate to this. Because mm. people do like to see themselves sometimes it reflected, don't they? they well, mm. What they've gone through, what they know, or how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So before you started that, uh, the, that period of morning pages, which kind of helped kickstart this period of your life did you um did you want have dreams of becoming a writer well like a lot of writers you know I've got that story of when my precious school teacher stood up and read my nurse spy story out <laughs> world war ii story 
I wish I still had it. I better would be a laugh. And she said, you should be a writer one day, Elaine. And you know how you just don't forget some things? And I also loved her so much that she could have told me to sort of be a ditch digger and I would have been. But, um, and then I, I had this period once because I've always been a drifter. I mean, just a drifter. And I was in Sydney and I got this temp job. It's like the longest temp job ever. And I was working for this sort of factory plant thing, this, this great big electronics plant factory thing on the river at Meadowbank near the station. And it was huge. It was a huge complex and very old. And the company was in the process of sort of selling off parts of the company and moving. But they had this big old switchboard that used to ring about once every five days and they needed <laughs> someone to be there when this phone rang. And they were happy to pay me an hourly rate and they said, do you knit? And I said, uh, no. And they said, well, you'll have to bring a book or something because there's nothing to do. But when the odd courier pops in, there was nobody there. It was derelict. It was, it was, it was defunct. <laughs> and I was there all alone in this gigantic reception area all day, every day. It was quite creepy and surreal answering this ancient PABX switchboard when it rang once every other day. So when I was there, I, um, I thought well, I would do something. So I went to a secondhand bookstore and bought myself a book on how to touch type. Oh. I taught myself how to type. <sighs> and then I sat there every day writing short stories, which I would probably be dreadful, but I sat there for two years. Oh, my God. <laughs> two years in this, in this huge moribund, you know, abandoned plant factory thing and, um, and wrote short stories, which were really dreadful. But um, I think, you know, it sort of was a little bit of preparatory work for yes. where I've ended up. Oh, my goodness, but kind of like what a great opportunity in I the know, end. I know, it was. It was, it, again, another bizarro world yeah. writing residence, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> that is really, yeah, you've got unique writing residences. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, yeah. my God. So what was, what did you find as the most challenging thing about writing The Keepers? Finding the end. Yeah, how did you find it in the end then well, if you, you kept know, on writing you know, into the void? What happened, there's a lady out there, Mel, Mel Thomas, I think, thank you. When it came toward the end of our Write Your Novel um, and we have to sort of submit our manuscripts to each other, mm. I hadn't, well, I hadn't got to the point where I, be, it was about 60,000 words. I didn't, that's all I had that I, would show anybody yeah because I thought the rest was just a bunkum at this stage and and a, a person in my group Mel said oh, I love the way you've ended it you know you haven't gone on and on and I thought to myself <laughs> well that's not the end <laughs> and then I read it and thought oh, that's the end oh wow I know and then I thought I've got all this other stuff I know exactly where to put it now and there you are how good's that so you see Look at what the course did for me. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a book, would there? Because I'd still be writing it and I'd be up to 400,000 words by now. 
That's fantastic. And that's one of the benefits, right, of having somebody exactly. who exactly. is reading it with that eye and just knows, oh, and has that feeling, oh, that's the perfect ending. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, that's one. great then. You didn't have to keep on writing. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was terrific. And and then after I did see that that was the end, I then the, it just was finished very quickly. It just right. was easy to finish. Fantastic. Off. Yeah. And what was the most rewarding thing about writing The Keepers? Um, well, I think that, you know, that uh, a whole lot of things, Valerie, very complex in, in that, you know, I'm 56 and, you know, I thought this ship had well and truly sailed. Mm-hmm. And even though it had been something that I had always sort of secretly, privately dreamed of, mm-hmm. um, so I was just pleased to have finished a manuscript in the first place and then, and then, you know, to actually have a book and someone, a publisher, a proper, real, really wonderful publisher say, I, I think we're going to publish this. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, so, like that's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, what a thing to, to do the thing that you love and have someone sort of say, I think it's all right. And then also to know that, you know, I've written something very close to my heart. And, um, yeah. Oh, how wonderful. All right. So, I mean, uh, what what an achievement. It's going so well. People are talking about it everywhere. So it's just brilliant. Um, Finally then, what's your advice, your your top three tips for listeners who want to get to where you are one day? (laughs) Well, I've probably got. Bizarro tips like everything that's okay. Bizarro is good. <laughs> well, I know everyone says read and has said this all probably for every podcast you've ever had. And I say read, but I'm going to add something to that. I would say read interviews with and articles by the writers you read, the writers you admire. And, um, for example, I just finished a book recently called The Last House on Needless Street by an English writer called Catriona Ward, UK writer. And I really liked it. It's very complex, very intriguing, multiple points of view, quite an act. It's terrific. And so I thought, I've never heard of her. I wonder what else she's written. So I looked up an article and she talked about how she had such dreadful trouble with this book and it wasn't working, wasn't working. And she thought I should just bin it. But she had one of the points of view was a talking cat, a talking cat who actually um, was Christian and was very concerned about the Lord's plans for it and was the cat living up to the Lord's expectations of her. And she thought, I can let go of everything but not the cat. I've just got this odd little narrative about a talking cat. And once she decided the cat had to stay, I'm keeping the cat, and she sort of let everything else go, then it all just vroom and the book came together. And it just so happened that when I read this article, the book I'm currently writing, working on the manuscript, I've got a voice of an inanimate thing, not a cat, not an animal, but a thing that normally doesn't talk. And I can't shake it. And I keep thinking it's too out there. And then I read Catriona Ward's talk about a cat and I thought, that's it. I'm keeping my mad voice and I'm just going to work with it. And it, do you know what I mean? It was once again one of those things where a writer I admire, I mm. just happened to read 
the very thing I needed to hear. Yeah. So I think you can learn an awful lot from just reading about the people that you read. The second thing is, which I've probably already talked a bit about, is a lot of writers are frightened. They think that there's got to be this clear-cut intentionality when they sit down at the keyboard. Don't be frightened of writing your way into the story. Like, don't think that you've sit down and you're going to have these totally fleshed out characters Mm. you're going to be really firm on all the metaphor that's going to convey your themes and all the rest no sit down George Saunders when he thought about writing Lincoln and the Bardo for 20 years thought about it and then decided he didn't want to be the bloke who on his gravestone had you know the bloke who thought about writing his great book (laughs) and he said because he thought it was very tricky but he said a quote I decided to take a run at it in exploratory fashion, no commitments. And I thought, reminded me of Peter Carey, who wrote, who just wrote and wrote and wrote thousands of words until he felt, right, here's the beginning, here's my story. Mm. Not worried at all about, oh, I've wasted my time with these 20,000 words or, no, it's never a waste because I think every word you write makes you a better writer and every word you cut makes for a better manuscript. I've definitely learned that through the publishing process because I think the words you cut away is your way of refining the words that you actually keep. Mm. And the third one, um, well, that goes back to um, reading the dictionary in the defunct factory. Um, (laughs) when, When I get up at four and have my writing time, I start every single one. I was reading the dictionary, sorry. That's also another thing I did when I was in the factory. Taught myself to type and read the dictionary. Like from A to Z? I literally have the old world book dictionaries that are two (laughs) volumes and each one's like that and the print is microscopic. And I literally, well, I was there for two years and I just every day just went through until I found words that I didn't know and went, oh, that's very interesting. And just kept, and I do it. I still do it. I still read the dictionary, not read, but at the beginning of every writing session, I just open a page randomly of the dictionary. Yep. And jump <laughs> and sometimes and a word will just jump out and some like it would just be nothing. It will be tarmac or owl. And I'll think I'm going to work owl somehow or owlish qualities into this writing session. Oh my God. And it, I'll tell you, one day my eye fell on maisonette. Do you know what I mean by maisonettes? What we used yeah. to call duplexes right. in my day back when the uh-huh. earth was flat. A house <laughs> cut in two. And, my, and I thought this was back in the early stages of The Keepers and I knew that Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights was going to be a reference throughout the book and there are two houses that the people live between in that. And I thought maisonette, maisonette. I'm going to have my character of Jay live between two houses, her grandparents and her mother's, where two houses of horror. And that all became from my eye falling on the word. I know that sounds really <laughs> but it's just my way of adding a bit of giggle juice to my writing session. It's like a mini sort of writing prompt, even though I'm writing the same piece of work. It's just like, just gives a little bump, a little swing this way and that. You never know where it might end up. That's incredible. That is the most unique writing tip we have ever heard. So thank you. That's brilliant. Anyway, 
Oh my God. Congratulations on the keepers. So excited for you. And thank, thank you, you so much for your time. Thanks, you, Valerie. Thank you, Valerie. It's just been terrific. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and balance, as well as tips on publishing. This online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll find extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the program. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novel writing. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Al Campbell and I'm sure you'll enjoy the book even more. I'm heading to Melbourne this week, so by the time I speak to you again, I will have been and gone. I'll be taking probably just one book with me. Um, I can't decide between uh, The Paris Apartment um, by Lucy Foley, The Maid by Nita Prose, or The Mother by Jane Caro. But it'll be one of those. And uh, I'll report back as to whether I enjoyed it or not. In the meantime, I hope you have a good week. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find me at ValerieKoo.com. Of course, please do make sure you join us in the podcast listener community on Facebook as well. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.